Christmas, everybody. How you doing? Yeah, but thank you guys for cramming in here. Ushers, there is plenty of seats in the spit zone right here. If anybody comes in late, bring them down here. Who loves Christmas? Thank you, Wrigley. I got to tell you, dude. Yeah, I know you love Christmas because those lights on those shoes, man. You came ready to celebrate. Christmas is the best, man. You get to get new toys. You get gifts. You get new clothes, new threads, new shoes. Who's going to go eat some delicious food right after this? Come on, some of you grandmas in here, you've been baking for a while. Some of you grandpas, you know how to do some cooking too, and you've been waiting for this moment. It's all, I love Christmas. It's the greatest time of the year. If it was just in San Diego, it would be the best thing I could ever experience. But I know for some people, you don't experience Christmas like that all the time. So to remember that there is evil in the world, I went to the gates of Hades itself yesterday. The, the bowels of Mordor, I went into the Walmart Supercenter <laughs> the day before Christmas Eve, just to prepare my soul a little bit. I want to tell you, you know, no matter what your Christmas is going like, as I was watching all the people, I, I, it's so easy. I, I've been a pastor now for a long time. It's so easy to get busy with the gifts and the food and all the other stuff I love that I forget about the thing I should love the most. And so that's really what I'd like to share with you. And if you're new to this church, welcome. It started just over five years ago in my wife and I's living room. And the crazy part of this whole church is we actually believed that God actually called us to move from Indiana, or excuse me, from California to Indiana and start a church. And three friends of mine from high school were going to help us start a church together. And then like all of that happened. And so what I'd like to share with you, I'm going to show you a video later on about some of the last five years, but mainly what I'd like to share with you is we've got to experience the faithfulness of God over the last five years, and I'd like to remember and celebrate that the birth of Jesus Christ was a promise that had been given centuries and centuries ago, and that what we actually celebrated this time is his birth into the world and God's greater plan for humanity. That's what I'd like to share with you. Put your hands together and welcome those who are joining live online all over the world with us right now. We're glad that you're here. Hope you connect with God. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't, it's cool. The verses will be on the screen. There's also a Bible in the chair in front of you, most likely. But we're going to read a few verses about the birth of Jesus, and we're going to remember why we celebrate uh, this time together. And keep in mind that the story begins with a 12 to 13-year-old young teenage girl who was not married, who had no authority or any power, was a poor Jewish girl in a part of the world that didn't seem to matter as much at that time in human history. And God will choose that opportunity to birth the Son of God into the world to do what I believe changed all of human history. And that's what I'd like to read together. Here we go. You ready to study God's word together, church, beginning in verse 18? Uh, nobody was, so I'll just read it quickly. <laughs> I know you are. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. If you're new to the Bible, Messiah just means anointed one. They had waited many, many, many centuries for this moment in human history. His mother, Mary, who, remember, is a young teenager, was pledged to be married to Joseph, who was more like early high school age. 
But before they came together, he was found to be, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Verse 23, quoting Isaiah 7, 14 here, prophesied 700 years earlier, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus, which means the one who saves. I wanna ask you this simple question as we study that prophetic message from Isaiah about the God who is with us. Is God with you this Christmas? not the person next to you, not the person from your family. Is God with you this Christmas? Will you pray with me? God, I've been asking myself that question. I know I know you. Um, I know I've given my life to you. I believe that I'll spend eternity with you and others who follow you, and I thank you for that. But God, I also think this season, um, are, are you with me? Are you shining through in my life in all areas? May you speak to us. We come together, all these people at all these services, and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. The Bible, Bible teaches where two or more are gathered, you're there. So we know that you are here with us. God, we pray you speak to us through these verses about our lives. We love you, we praise you, and we give you this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Do we have any teenagers in the room? Come on, be brave. Yeah, we got a lot of teenagers here. Yeah, raise those hands. Mercy Students, one of the fastest growing areas of the church, baby. I'll tell you, uh, over the last few uh, services, we've seen a lot of teenagers, and there's nothing better in life than being young when everything in your body works and then you're not falling apart yet. Adults, amen? Amen. Amen. Now, of course, I think about if I was marrying Joseph in this passage at that particular age and time, I don't think that I would have been somebody that should have been entrusted with the Son of God being birthed into the world. Amen? Because some of you, you've been adults long enough, you forgot like what it was like and what you were like as a teenager. I asked the Jillian and Eric Maitland, our worship leaders, for permission to do this, and they said it was kind of okay, and so I did it anyway. I've got a picture of Jillian from when she was like 12 or 13 years old. Look at that. Isn't that cute? Yeah, like, I, I look at that and I think of what she was probably like at that time, probably pretty different than what she's like now. But I know, I know that Eric is pretty much the same. Here's his picture from about the age of Joseph <laughs> in the New Testament. Now, why the dog needs the weight, I have no idea. That, that's what happens when you grow up in Jay County right there, but... That's a real picture. I didn't like Photoshop that. That's real. Do you think that that man, throw it back up again. Do you think he should be entrusted with a newborn child? And yet in this story, God chooses these young teenagers. And he, he had all of human history waiting to this point, 700 years of the prophecy. And he has a birth into a couple who had no power, no authority, right there. Let's be honest, we're still popping zits and taking care of them. Like how in the world... Were they the people ready for that? And why did he just come as like a warrior, as an adult, grown up, ready to do it? Why did he come as a little newborn child? 
I'd like to demonstrate very simply, if you're taking notes, through three points, that God is faithful, that his faithfulness means he'll follow through with the promises that he tells you, and that he will do the impossible in people's lives. And he chooses this little teenage couple to change all of human history so that you didn't think it came from some human authority. And he comes as a little vulnerable child so you could know no matter where you've been or what you've been through or if you thought you were gonna light on fire for walking through the doors of a church this afternoon. By the way, we started this church for you full of people like that. We come together and we remember there's nothing more approachable than a little child. You could come just as you are and receive the love of Christ. So if you're taking notes, here's what we're gonna do. The first one I mentioned, that God is faithful. It said in verses 18 to 25, it read the prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14. I'll read it again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That literally, God, we believe as Christians, he was fully God and fully human. Became God incarnate. That he wasn't just a good human being, a good man, who had good teachings, we actually believed that his life meant more than just the 33 years he lived. We, we believe that because he was fully God, he had the power and the authority to make the world as it should be. And that one day, as we'll talk about at the end, Jesus will return and set the world right. And because he's fully God and fully human, we can live with him eternally in perfect paradise as heaven and earth come together and we can experience God with us now in our daily lives. That's the good news of the birth of Jesus. And so that you didn't think it was by mistake that he chose the storyline that he did before he mentions the virgin birth. In verses one through 17 in Matthew chapter one, he sets the stage with this really long lineage of the birth of Jesus and where he came from. And how many of you, you ever read, I'm, we're not gonna put it up there, you read Matthew chapter one, those first 17 verses, you go, why is that in there? You skip through it as fast as you can. And it demonstrates that there was 14 generations from Father Abraham. You remember Father Abraham? Had many sons, many sons had father. Abe would be the guy who was 100 years old, and he says, I'll make your descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. He says, yeah, right. He has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons of Israel. Joseph, one of them, had a really fancy coat, and he ends up in Egypt one day. And because of him there, his entire family goes during a famine, and they live there. And over the next 400 years, they expand to over 100,000 people. And then God shows up, he hears the oppression of his people, and he sets his people free. He parts the Red Sea. They don't really listen to him, so they spend 40 years in the wilderness, and then they finally get into the promised land. And he gives them this land. They give them everything they want, and they say, we don't really want you anymore, God. We want our own king. So he gives them Saul, who wasn't a good king, and then King David. And then a couple generations go by, and the whole family lineage falls apart, and everybody's fighting with each other. The kingdom splits in two. Eventually, the Assyrians will take over the northern king. The Babylonians will take over everything in 586 BC. And the Bible in Matthew chapter one says there were 14 generations from the promise to Abraham until David, the king the pinnacle of Israel history. And the 14 generations from David until the exile in Babylon, when everything fell completely apart. And the 14 generations from Babylon until the birth of Jesus. Almost as if he knew for thousands of years that he was gonna plan it out at just that moment in time. That he was aware of the fallen nature of me and you and a rebellion against him since the beginning of time. And he's gonna pursue us and pursue us and it pursue us, and it'll never give up on us. Some of us grew up in different faith backgrounds. 
some of us watching online or here live, you don't consider yourself a Christian and we started this church so you can ask questions. And we've seen what happens as people do that over the last five years. And I don't take it lightly that you showed up, man. You are the reason that we do what we do. We love you right as you are. We have no expectations for you this evening other than I wanna present to you why I love God through Jesus. And you see, that whole plan, this non-hostile takeover of the birth of this child began as God enters into the world because he wanted to demonstrate his faithfulness that he had waited for just this moment in human history, 14, 14, 14 generations, that God was gonna enter into the world, that he can be present right where he is. His, His goal has always been in the Garden of Eden with the Israelites in the tabernacle was that he would dwell with his people. And when Jesus comes into the world and God now is with us, it's that you are never alone, that if you consider yourself a Christian, that the Spirit of God lives in your life, he is with you wherever you go and whatever you encounter. That's the New Testament version of what it means to follow Jesus. You see, God's pursuit of you, it is unending. He's gonna pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. He's never gonna give up. It's like Eric Maitland on a Black Friday sale at the Gap Kids. He's never gonna stop. He's going to get what he wants, and what he wants is you. That was pretty good how I slid that in there. Wasn't that pretty good for Eric? Uh, I don't know if he's in the room right now, but that was for you, buddy. He's going to get and get what he wants because he loves you, and he created you for a purpose, no matter how much you feel like he didn't. I've experienced it. Many of the people in this room have experienced that very thing. You see, the second point is that a faithful God will fulfill his promises to you. See, he's faithful, and when he promises that he's going to bring the Messiah, he does it just in the particular way that he desired to do that. In fact, some of you sitting there, like me, you go, I have lost a child. I have experienced pain. I've had suffering. I've gone through hard times. How is God faithful to me? And I want to tell you, my response to myself is that he never promised you wouldn't have troubles. In fact, the New Testament, Jesus actually says the exact opposite. I don't know how we get this wrong. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus, Jesus says this to the disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You'll have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so naturally, you get to the why questions, right? This is where mine, got, mine goes. Why does God allow bad things? Why God allow Aleppo if he's a good God? Watching the stuff on TV and you just go, man, that's devastating, horrible. What I'd like to share with you is what I shared to myself, and God would probably have a more compassionate answer than I do, but here's where I go with it. I, I ask myself, why do I feel, why do we feel an all-powerful, perfect being who spoke the universe into existence is required to explain himself to a created being who can't even figure out how to love her neighbor as well. You see, the reality is, in a little bit here, you're gonna see some Syrian refugees that got ministered to because people in this church a year ago gave $10,000 to minister to one particular camp over in Syria. That it's only when God gets a hold of normal, broken human beings and it starts using what we've been entrusted with to impact other people in our world that you begin to see God show up. And so rather than asking God why, I ask God, how can you use me? 
I know you now. I know the good news. I know you're going to come back and set the world right as it should be. And so I surrender to this life to you. Use me in the way that you can. And I fail at it sometimes, and you probably do too. But I know that he is powerful. I know that he could take a 12 or 13-year-old girl and change all of human history, even though she had no power and authority to do so. I know he is a God who fulfills his promises, and when he says that he will return, he will return. You realize the early Christians, they anticipated the return of Jesus so much, they had this Aramaic word they would use called Maranatha, which meant come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't just think that the Bible talks about your return. I believe it. And I believe that God is with us right now in the room. It started that Christmas. Did that freak you out a little bit? Freaks me out still to this day. And I'll tell you, over the last five years, I've seen, I have seen what it's like to rely on God and how he shows up. I want to show you this four-minute video. It shows the last five years of us as a church, how we really believe that God called us in a prayer to start a church here that wasn't about Mercy Road Church, but was about expanding the kingdom of God. That today gives away over 35% of its resources that we're going to get to 50% here in the near future, that we're going to start churches all over the state of Indiana, and we're not going to build a brand of church. We're going to expand the kingdom of God because God is real, and he is living, and he is active. And so I want to show you how God has changed the lives of some of us in this video over the last five years together and talk about his faithfulness. Let's watch this. Oh, holy night, and the stars are brightly
I love seeing the faithful God that fulfills his promises, and I can't tell you enough, we really believed that God told us to start a church, which sounds crazy to talk about. And what I've seen is that the God who promised the Israelites, the Jewish people, the 700 years earlier, he was gonna send the Messiah, he did it, and he did it his way, and he did it in a way where you could know there was a purpose and a plan to it, and that he had always wanted his people to come home to him. And he pursues us continually throughout our lives. We have experienced that type of faithful God. I want to talk about a couple of the stories in that video. You see, number three, our faithful God is also the God of the impossible, who does things in people's lives that changes the course of our life to become something of more meaning and purpose, to become world changers that don't just live for our personal existence, to try and acquire things or expand our personal kingdom but to expand his. What one person, Christina Huffines, some of you have heard me talk about her before, but if you're new to our church, she came to us as a single mom who was needing financial assistance around Christmas time, and we helped her out and what they were going through. She ended up giving her life to Christ, and her kids got baptized, and she got baptized, and it was awesome. And we thought, well, that was good. And then she started getting involved and growing in her faith, and she ended up going, hey, God changed my life. He can do anything. What if he used my life to change somebody else's life. And so she started saying, hey, I learned how to do extreme couponing, if we have any couponers out there, so that she could learn how to get items that she couldn't afford because she could find places to donate food, but she couldn't find donations for soap and shampoo and laundry detergent, deodorant, and like basic necessities you may take for granted. And so she began collecting lots of these items in her house, and she just put shelves in her house where then she started inviting the neighbors over, say, hey, come in my house and take stuff. And they would come in, and they would take the supplies for people who need it, and she said, it's completely free, but if you want to make a donation so I can go get more stuff, go ahead and do it. And so she just got more and more stuff. She began to run out of room in her house, and she began to supporting all of these ministries that existed, nine or ten of them. And so they decided, we got to put a board together and form our own 501c3, and Dotted Line Divas was formed. And they minister now to all kinds of people, and they have their own personal care pantry on College Avenue, just a few blocks from where she came to our church services the very first time in our old building. How cool is that? And now she has radio stations and newspapers reaching out to her going, what happened? What, what happened in your life that you're doing all of this? And she gets to tell the story of how God has changed her life and used her through dotted line D. Let me tell you about my friend, David Rothenberg. You guys know, this is a, a friend of mine who started coming a couple years ago. He's an intelligent, funny man, and he was of Jewish descent and agnostic. And he, we began meeting in my office. He'd call it his small group. It was just the two of us. And we'd even ask questions of faith. 
And over the course of the last couple years, he ended up giving his life to Christ, and he got baptized this fall. That's the picture after we're getting baptized. And now he's becoming a world changer. He's still funny and intelligent, but now he loves Jesus and he wants people to see it. So he's taking a team of people to Detroit, Michigan this summer with Life Remodeled. He's leading the team to minister to people in need in a hurting area of Detroit. How cool is that? You see, the guy that does the impossible, it means that those of us who think, man, I have always been this way. I've never been a believer. I um, have always been the way that I am. I can't speak for your life, but I would say things like I've just always been somebody who only cares about myself and acquiring things, and I've just always been grumpy. It's just the way I am. I'm a grump. People know I'm a grump. And then you encounter Christ, and the New Testament says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. People go up to and go, man, you used to be a grump. What's What happened? Like, I know, I worked with you five years, you're a total grump, what changed? And you have to go and say, well, God is with me now. And when God is with us, we're not perfect, we still fail, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You get to see that God is with you in your life. That's the beauty of the first Christmas. As we close, I want to tell you a story. Most of you probably don't know this story. You put a Christmas tree up in your house this year, and you don't even know Why? See, the Christmas tree historically has represented something in Christianity. And there's this great story of a priest named St. Boniface. Anybody ever hear him? I didn't think so. He's in the 8th century, and I got a picture here of when he showed up to this German village. And the legend tells us, and there is historical writings about this, that he went to that village, and he's considered the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. And God had changed his life. He was a new creation. He wanted to go tell everybody about what God was doing in his life. And so he shows up to this village where they're worshiping this oak tree, the mighty oak of Thor. I know you thought it was just a Marvel movie. They were there worshiping a tree, and it was Thor's tree. And he was told you would never be able to cut the tree down. It's too, too powerful. Thor, very powerful God, that Thor, and you can't cut it down. So here's what he did. This, you can read about this online. He takes an ax. I love this guy. He goes into the village, and with everybody around, he just takes one fell swoop, bam! He cuts the mighty oak of Thor down. Now, I don't know if all this is true, but the legend goes, when he cut the tree down, they were so flabbergasted that that was possible, they began to listen to him. And when they came back near the stump, a small fir tree had grown up. And, and Boniface actually used the shape, the triangle shape of the fir tree to tell them about Jesus and about the Trinity in particular. And so over time, for many Christians, the story got passed down and they began to take trees and, as a reminder of God's faithfulness to them. You know this because you've sung the song and you don't even remember the lyrics. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, you remember it? I'm not gonna sing it for you because you don't want me to. If you read the lyrics of that song, it talks about the faithfulness of God and his consistency that when the leaves die and fall off a normal tree, the fir tree stays green year round and that God is faithful to his people and to his promises and he is the God of the impossible. It means a man could go into town where they're worshiping a tree. He could tell them about Jesus and their whole lives could be changed for human history. And one day Germany eventually will grow up and not be known as the barbarians. There will actually be Christians that exist there. And it's the life change that occurs. Now, some of you walked in here and you've been asking us through this series, why you guys got Christmas trees hanging upside down out in the lobby? Some kind of pagan worship people? What's going on at this church? 
And I found out that the Christmas tree in eastern parts of Europe often had been hung upside down because the symbol of God's faithfulness always in our lives represented for them, they hung it upside down so it would have somewhat of the form of the crucifixion of Jesus. And remind them that Jesus on the cross, that God's faithful promise to his people, the Messiah would be sent, he would be born into the world, he'd be God with us, he'd have the power and the authority to overcome the world as we read in John 16, and that you could actually know and believe that you would get to spend eternity with your loved ones and with people that you know in a place we refer to as heaven with him forever. And it's not just fable and it's not just myth that we don't come together to sing these songs to be nostalgic like we really believe Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, he will return. And the evil and the darkness that we experience in this life, it's only temporary. This life is a blip on the map that one day when Jesus returns, we get to spend eternity with God. And so the stuff that we talk about matter. And so that you and I only get so many years on this planet and the reason that we exist is to be used by him, that he is with us and we get to share him with other people. It took a 19-year-old kid and turned me into leading a Bible study in a fraternity house. I didn't know anything about the Bible and all of a sudden you get to start seeing God show up. It took a group of people to move here and and actually believe that God was going to start a church one day and we were going to expand the kingdom of God by telling people about Jesus and we were going to be a light in the community where if we no longer existed, the people who weren't Christians would miss us because they couldn't deny the good work that was happening. That's the faithfulness when God is with us in our midst, even with fallen, broken human beings like ourselves. So if you came in here and you have those questions that many of us have had at night, where you wonder what's going to happen when all is over, and you have questions about God, I want to tell you he's been pursuing you long before you walked into this building. And anything I believe that has connected with you is not because I am a gifted communicator at all. It is because God is very real and he's with us and he's been wanting to break through in your life. And he loves you. And he's gonna pursue you till the very end. And so my desire is that you would discover what it's like to be embraced by him, to return to him, to rely on him, to know that you're never alone, that he's with you wherever you're at. And so I'd like to give you this Christmas, 2016, an opportunity to respond to that very message he has in the New Testament. Will you pray with me? God, God, we love you. And we thank you for life. We thank you for eternity. We thank you that you're with us right now. We thank you that you're here in the room with us, that you've called us to a greater existence than just a nine to five and nice vacations. God, you've called us to be a light to the world. And for, I got to imagine many, many of us here in the room and watching online, rather than embracing that, we run from it because it scares us. We're afraid we'd have to change everything in our lives. We're afraid that somebody will think that there's something wrong or different about us or we might be embarrassed or ashamed. God, I pray in this moment right now for people brave enough to claim your good news that they believe in you, they accept your gift of mercy for the forgiveness of their wrongdoing, and they get to celebrate that they'll spend eternity with you in heaven because you paid the price for us. And so if that is you here in the room and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to pray that. And so just pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. This Christmas, I'm going to change because you're powerful enough and you are faithful enough. And so I surrender my life to you fully. 
may you use me like you've used Christina, like you're using David, and like you used so many others before me. I give you my whole life. If you prayed that right now, I just please keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that right now, would you raise your hand for a moment? I want to pray something specifically for you because I believe that when you take a step of faith, I see many of you in the back there, that when you take a step of faith, that it, the hard part's going to be what happens after this. I see, well, one, two, three, four, five, six of you. If I miss some of you on this side of the room, I apologize, but pray, I want to pray this with you. Pray together, God. When we walk out of this room and we open the presents and we have the awesome Christmas experience we've been desiring, I pray when all is said and done, pray this with me, that I get to know you more and more and more each day. And that I learn to pursue you as you have pursued me. And when the temptations come, that I might turn to you and those who have gone before me to learn how to follow you. Lord, I give you these people who are brave enough to say they want to follow you. May you use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.